2022, I'll start for a change. Yeah. Right, so we're not doing an intro? No. Okay. So, so yeah, super excited, Mark. Mark Dale from Beta Tech is on today on the show. So, how's it going, Mark? Really good, thanks. It's uh, great to meet you all. Great, great. So, um, obviously, this is the uh, first time you've done a podcast, so keen to try and find a little bit about yourself and a little bit more about Beta Tech. So, let's start off with, with yourself and your story. How did you get into tech? Yeah, well, I'm getting on a bit now, so it's a quite a long story. It goes back quite far. Um, basically, when I, when I finished school, my parents bought me um, an old ZX81 computer. Um, at that moment in time, I was really focused on joining the Army. I was, I was actually planning to be a missile technician of all, of all jobs. So I went through the, uh, the physical, went through all the whole sign up to the Army. And basically, my parents pulled me to the side and said, look, uh, I think you should do something else. And I was actually really into Obviously, there's an X81 in computers. I started to write a few little um, games and software programs. So when I finished school, I basically got offered a place at NCC in, in Manchester. But at the time, I wanted to kind of do stuff with my friends. I wasn't really that academic. So I joined a YTS scheme with quite a few of my friends doing computing and electronics. Um, it was a place called Rycroft Hall in Ardenshaw. And we just did bits and pieces with bits of programming, electronics, and just basically general office-based work, working reception and things like that. And from there, basically, I managed to get a placement at ICI in Gorton, where I joined a team, a creative team, and I just sat and watched them do, do what they do and helped and assisted them in, in that department. And I just kind of realized that software was the, the big upcoming thing then. So this is like sort of 88, 89. And I basically managed to get a, a role at a company called Dialophone, which was in Hyde, working as a PC support technician, but also writing some COBOL programs. And I just took to it like a duck to water. So I was actually doing things like building computers and, and maintaining those computers, but also developing. And that just gave me a passion for it. And from there, I went on to work at some bigger companies like Ralston Alliance as a, as a full-time employee. Then I went on to a company called ESAMS, which was where I really learned my trade. So that's, that stands for Elliott Airspace and Military Systems. So that was a, an ISO standard uh, software company. So that really taught me how to do things properly. Um, but I always wanted to have my own business. So in between then and now, I had multiple small businesses, like a PC company and things like that, which I didn't really spend too much time on. It was more of a hobby, but it just gave me the, the idea that one day I was going to have my own business. So, so from there, I decided to go contracting. Um, I was being, I was working for ESANS basically as a consultant and I was getting paid a permanent salary. So I just decided to jump ship and do that. And I spent 14 years working at companies like um, ICI, uh, Alliance of Leicester, um, Step Nexus, and so on. And I just became more and more senior until I was running teams of, of developers. Now, the last company I worked for, they, unfortunately, they, I took redundancy there because they moved their operations down south. And I had a, this is like 2015. So I just took some time out to, to kind of figure out what I wanted to do. Um, I took a, a role as a, a freelancer at a digital agency in Manchester. And when I was working there, I realized that there was no software development. They literally outsourced all the software. So they did the creative side of things, they did the designs and they did websites, but they didn't actually do software. So I, I spent probably eight months there. I just thought, you know what, I'm gonna do it. So I took a massive, massive gamble. I took an office on Princess Street, um, the cheapest office I could find in Manchester with an M1 postcode. 
actually think the building's condemned now. It was it was that bad a building. I won't, I won't name <laughs> name the building. I think I know um, which one you mean. I think I might have been in that building as well. Were there like two buildings? I mean, you walk from one side to the other. There was like a it, it was like a rental space just at the end of the gate. Yeah, it. well, it's, it's it's near. I'd say it's near Rochers. On um, <laughs> I think I think I have been yeah. in the the same shady building. Go on. <laughs> yeah, I was there eight months, and the list never worked. <laughs> The lifts never works. We're on, we're on the fourth floor. Um, but what that gave me, it gave me a place to go every day. And I, I basically got a, sort of a telephone number and I started to network. So I went, I joined um, a BNI group. I went to various events around Manchester. Some of them were just like social events where you just go meet people for a chat or the business owners and so on. And one of the BNI groups that I went to was hadn't actually started and there's about 10 different companies in there and they're all digital. And it was quite fortuitous really because a lot of those people that I met back then are still good friends now. We still do, still, still do work together. Um, and they were also at the beginning of their journeys. So we had SEO companies, web design companies, content writing, all that stuff. And we just bonded really well. So we were in that group for about almost a year before it was actually launched as a, as a BNI. And during that time, we just started to give each other little pieces of work or give us referrals and so on. So I was in the office and, and trying to take on these small pieces of work. And at that time, I was actually taking on anything I could. I mean, even if it wasn't sort of our speciality or my speciality, I should say. And then I'd try and get a, a freelancer to do the work. So it's quite difficult, like WordPress and, and different, different pieces of work. However, what happened was the CEO of a company that I did work for at the, um, the agency I worked for before I, went, I started the business, he got in contact with me saying, I'm available for work. And he just gave me um, about one day a week initially. That was the House Network, which is based down, down near London. And they were on a very fast journey, up and coming journey. They were the longest established online housing agency, estate agent. Uh, that one day a week ended up over a two year period to have six people working full time on it with four or five projects. Off the back of that, we got on some smaller clients. I started to hire. We took an office at Spaces on Oxford Street. And everything was going really, really well. We had a designer, developers. I took um, an MD as a consultant from a previous software company to help me grow the company. And then out of the blue, that house network went under. They went bankrupt. And the orders roughly three months worth of invoices. So one of the things you're probably going to ask me is one of my biggest mistakes ever in business is get paid early. Because if we would have stopped the development or, or took action sooner, we wouldn't have been in such a, a difficult situation then. So unfortunately, I had to let most of that team go that I'd built up. I considered letting the business go, you know, starting over again. We, we, we could have done that. We could have um, just stopped trading. But we just rebranded to Beta. So we were called um, a, a previous name previously, but we rebranded around Manchester in the B, which is where the Beta comes from. So Beta is in the software, you know, Beta testing. And, and B is in the, the Manchester B and the brand and the colours all came from that. We spent a lot of time on it. I just thought it'd be such a shame to, to throw all this away. So at that point, I have some good friends who are investors who I've met over the years working and doing the, the BNI and networking and so on. And, and they invested in the, in the business and they bought 25% of, of beta, but they gave us the cash injection that we needed to, to reset basically. And, and that's kind of where we, we were sort of two and a half years ago. And since then, we've kind of gone, gone through that journey again, but much more cautious this time. And we're, we're a lot more specialist in, in what we do now. So that's the journey. And that, that's kind of where I came from and where we are now. 
Amazing, amazing. I mean, you know, I love this because it's really interesting. Before John gets into the, the techie part of it, which I'm sure he will do because I can see him jumping at the bit. I love the fact that it's going to be quite an interesting conversation in relation to what we talk about on this show anyway. The fact that you're from Manchester, you know, you mentioned some of the names. You mentioned Cobalt and you mentioned I, ICI and they were, you know, guys, yeah, I remember them back in the day, like when yeah, we yeah. used to try and service them years and years ago. So you will have seen a lot and you know the other thing that's interesting about what you mentioned there was like how you learn in business and how challenging it is you know you get punished don't you and then as you get punished you learn to sort of go through so I'm sure John's going to want to jump on the techie part which I'm sure he will in a minute but just can I ask you just initially before we go in to find out more about beta and what 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 the proposition is there and stuff like that how do you think the city's changed I mean it's fascinating you mentioned Princess Street. My, my, I, from being a really young kid, my parents had a, a shop in uh, Manchester House on Princess Street, opposite the old Garrett, if anyone remembers that. So I remember Princess Street a lot. You know, that's changed tremendously over the years. But how do you think the city's changed? How do you think it's changed generally? It's, it's amazing what's happened with the city. I mean, I was asked to remember it shortly after the, uh, the bomb many years ago. And at that time, Manchester was, was quite a, a poor city in terms of its the way it looked and the business and so on. I mean, I was, I was working in Manchester, but it's got nowhere near the buzz that it has now. Um, there's very little people in the city centre after after work. It was kind of dead. And, and now I live in Media City and I can see Manchester City Centre from here. It's just skyscrapers and they've got a real tech buzz. It feels like a tech city. And the amount of agencies and, and businesses that I know of people in tech, you know, we, we do work with lots of them. It's just growing exponentially, but that is causing them was a huge problem, the fact that we can't, or we, we can, but it's very difficult to hire staff. It's very difficult to find good people. Don't worry, don't worry. Uh, here we go, <laughs> here we go. It's the always ABC, I'm, isn't it? Am I allowed to pitch on a podcast? <laughs> God's sake. <laughs> hey, come on. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to use opportunity to interrupt. And I am actually going to ask a couple of techie things, or mention a couple of techie things, but it's not what I'm most interested in. One thing that occurred to me is you mentioned your first computer. And I think you can actually age someone by their computers, like rings on a tree. You could just say, hey, what was your first computer? And it says on a 2017 MacBook Pro. It's like, okay, right, you're straight out of uni, aren't you? So I think it's quite good. It's like, oh, you're ZX81? Or were you like before that? Or you just come in? Actually, there wasn't a lot before it. So that, I just thought that was interesting. But one, <laughs> the question I did want to pick up on, and you just dropped it in fairly nonchalant, but I think it's quite an interesting one. You said, I hired an MD. And... Lots of people, founders, would assume MD role um, and you didn't. And I'm really, you know, I think that's that's brilliant because it's about, you know, I, I don't want to say too much, but it's about getting the right people around you, right? But yeah, I want to, I'd love to hear more about that process and yeah, decision. Well, I was, I was the MD, but I wanted the experience of somebody who had been there before and helped me with that journey because I'm not somebody who has assumed that I have all the answers to everything and I'd run a few small businesses before with, with other business partners and I wanted to get somebody who, so it was Jade that we hired. I wanted to get her because of her experience working at a software company, very similar to, to what I wanted Beta to be for about five or six years she'd worked there. And that really helped me with the whole kind of planning of the business and, and the way to deal with customers. So she, she was a jack of all trades and, and so was I because we're only two people in the business at that point. And we were, we were hiring freelancers and we were looking at outsourcing work and we're contacting companies in India and all sorts. We've literally tried all the, all the different avenues there. And 
it, it was just a massive help. I don't think I could have done it without her, to be honest. She was a lot higher level than some of the work she was doing, but she stuck with it and she really helped me through that. And it, it was a great, great time for, for me to get from where we were to, to start to hire like three staff at that point when, when, she, uh, when she moved on. That's great. That's a really good story. That's really good. I'm really interested to hear that. And there's one other thing I want to pick up on. <clears throat> you said that that company moved their operations south in 2015. I bet they're absolutely kicking themselves now because no one's doing, no one's going south anymore. Are they? It's all like move up north or stay remote or close your offices. So uh, I bet that's shot, shot them. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was a buyout from a, a much larger company um, and, and they had an office on, on the south coast. It's a company called Jamelto. They were based on, I think it's Southampton. And I wasn't going to move down to Southampton. Um, I'd only been there a few years as a full-time employee, but I got enough redundancy, quite a generous payout to keep me going for four or five months while I decided what, what I wanted to do next. Going back to the text added, and we talked about sort of some of the old technology there, and it's interesting that John brings up, I'm going to bring something up about the spectrum in a bit later on in the conversation. But you so the your business now, Beta, you know, um, obviously you provide solutions, bespoke solutions to end clients. For, um, do you use all different tech stacks now or do you use a you know do you only do specific PHP for example or yeah we're 100% Microsoft now so we we try to do the let's get a specialist in WordPress let's get a specialist who you know some PHP and you know sometimes we've made that choice based on work that was in front of us but I've always been a Microsoft developer so I'm all self-trained as well so when I was consulting I used to put myself for the Microsoft certification so I was always Microsoft, um, I think it was certified developer at that time. So that meant that when I was going for contracts, I was right at the top of the queue. Um, I don't believe in, in people um, relying on their business to train them. I think if you want to be successful, you've got to continuously learn, read, train, et cetera. And I've always done that. I do that even, even today. But yeah, so we're full, solely Microsoft. So the number one goal a couple of years ago was to get the silver partnership, which means that your internal staff have to be trained to a a very high level of competency, basically. So that was the num- number one goal. Now we've got a much bigger team. We're going for the gold partnership. So all our staff at the moment have in our roadmap to get qualified this year by April so we can get the gold partnership. And with the gold partnership with Microsoft, that gives us a lot more communication with them. We get an account manager. They, they actually lots of help there with Microsoft who can actually use Microsoft to get some, some, some work as well because we're a gold partner in their top 1%. But that also means more importantly is that everyone who comes into the business will be trained on the same tech stack and that's microsoft.net with blazer technology.net core sql sql server um, all based on azure cloud so that means that we need devops engineers as well so we have skills in within the team but we don't have a dedicated devops person but it just means that everything we do and every project we, we develop, one developer can jump from one to the other, understand the technology, understand the code, you know, follow our coding standards and best practices and so on. And it's a lot easier to onboard staff. Um, and it, it, it means that also the quality of our software is going to get better and better and better the, the, the more um, we put into that, basically. We'll put in as much as we get out, basically, or we get out as much as we put in, I should say. Is that attractive then? Do you think that helps hiring that you're a silver soon to be gold partner and uh, you're obviously helping people get certified you know you're, you're boosting their skills yeah i mean we have, we have to appeal to a tech market and sometimes a lot of developers aren't motivated in the same way that non-developers would be so for us when we hire we promise to put people through the, the certification process with microsoft we also give them the latest microsoft surface pro laptop and every member of staff gets to keep that after working with us for two years so we, it's all tech benefits more than 
obviously we have our own benefits working for beta but that those are specific things that we do to entice the, the development team as well that's really good can i come back to something else then that you mentioned uh and we've actually never discussed this on the podcast before and i'm slightly surprised which was um bni and that you know i'm aware of it i've i've um was sort of networking in the in the manchester area and but the, obviously it's all over the world as far as i know and it's a bit of a marmite thing right some people are like oh don't don't talk to me about bni i'm not interested and other people are like best thing i ever did and you know I, I can tell you about my own experience but i'd be very interested in yours and it was did sound positive but can we can we talk a, you know maybe tell us a bit more about the people you and you did say the kind of businesses yeah but like why was it so why was it such a positive experience do you think yeah, I mean, there's BNI as as the global organisation where you've got groups all over all over the world. There's, there's probably about seven or eight around Greater Manchester now. I believe BNI is something that's kind of industry specific. So if you wanted to, if you're a tradesperson, there's probably a BNI that's going to be great for you to get jobs fitting bathrooms and so on. And there would be very similar people within that group. If I went there as a as a software company. I would be completely wasting my time. Now, the person who, so, so the person I mentioned, Chris Grimes, who, who got me into BNI, he was setting up a new group and he wanted it to be more digital-based companies. So for me, it was a no-brainer. I get to meet other people who've got digital agencies or, or related businesses. We, we kind of started that group over about an eight-month period. It developed to become a really great networking group. Once you're part of the, the full BNI, you've committed to do certain certain procedures and processes and things you have to do, which then expands the group and it's all about numbers and so on. But for me, all the, the founder members of that group became, well, most of them became business partners or we did work together or just really good friends. So a lot of the business we've had that built Beta with through relationships that I made with those groups, even if people only came in for a few months and left, it's about going, for, it was actually a Friday morning meeting at Dukes 92. And that meant often a, a boozy afternoon uh, um, just sitting down getting to know people and I think I'm still a believer that face to face having a pint getting to know somebody before you do business with them is is key to success and there's also that trust element there as well but I did outgrow that group because as it expanded company, other companies expanded you know, people changed around businesses came in, in and out and then the commitment to give up half a day to go to that group was just too much for me However, saying that, now that we've got like a marketing executive, Tillish, potentially we could send her to those, those groups and so on. So but, but I think there's always a, a use. I only, I only have experience with BNI. I've, I've been in guests at other ones, but then they have different formats. But if you're a startup business and you, you just want contacts and you just want other people to talk to a business owner, I find it, I found it really, really rewarding. Yeah, fascinating. I, I love that because it, it reminds me of like sort of when we first started our businesses, John, and like one of the things that, you know, you do is you, 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 you look at your network, don't you? And you look, you know, how do you get a foot? How do you start? You know, well, you look at your network, you go and get involved in these things. Like you say, I think one of the challenges is once you start flowing and you do get some business from it, then because you are so tight on cash, you're developing your products and stuff like that, then you can't give the time or commitment to it like you were doing at the start because you're too busy delivering. And then like now, for example, with myself personally, as the business has grown to where we are today, you know, I do a lot more of that stuff, not necessarily going to a BNI group, but just generally, you know, you become more of the face again of the business. So you, you, you the face at the start, then you become a doer and wear a gazillion hats and then you become the face again. And so, yeah, I can sort of see the absolute benefits to, to the way you would do that. 
I did have a few kind of bad experiences. I know lots of people do these things do where you just turn up at somewhere, you kind of sudden the corner and people just come up to you trying to sell your mortgages or something, you know, and you just kind of think, what am I doing here? Yeah. If, if you find a group that's suitable and, and kind of fits your business, then obviously it can work. So you do have to kind of do a lot of, invest a lot of time in, in doing that. And I, and I did, and it did work out in the end. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. The thing is, I think at the start, as a startup, it's an enabler, isn't it? You know, it's exactly, it's an enabler <laughs> to win business. And for, for me, it's exactly the same. You know, I think that social aspect in itself, meeting new people, it's like, you know, I don't know if anyone read the book, The Tipping Point, where, you know, you're one person away from like X millions of people or, or what, I can't remember the, the exact now, but you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And one of the reasons I did it as well, I joined that, that group, is that I had a fear of uh, public speaking, of actually standing up and speaking in, in front of a room full of people. And I, I can't remember which book I read, but it says you have to face your fears. So I think it's fear the fear and do it anyway or something like that. So I just went there and, and I got some really funny comments uh, when I was sort of leaving to say that, you know, when you first stood up, stood up here, you, you were sweating, you were you were really, really nervous. You couldn't, you couldn't hardly get any two words out. And at the end, I was doing a presentation for 10 minutes, you know, on, on the business and how we've, we've done certain things. And even though I'm not still comfortable with it, I don't get nervous like I did before. It's just one of those things that's, that if you've never done it before, it's, it's very difficult. It can be very difficult. And that was one of the key personal things I got out of that, to be honest. Oh, I love that. I think that's absolutely <laughs> amazing. I, I completely, I can completely relate to that as well because I, I'd been to, well, I, I put myself, I was nervous of speaking public too and kind of forced myself to do it through actually a, a technical conference as it was. Um, but it, it does take a lot to get you up there the first time. And actually going back to the networking side of things, when I started doing that, having, even though I'd spoken at conferences, going to a networking event and, you know, sidling up to someone and going, hey, how are you doing? What do you do? Da, 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 here's my card. I found really daunting. And I think I'm naturally an introvert or, or lean, have a tendency to lean in that direction anyway. And I remember being, actually, I remember a really good story where Zach and I went to um, something in Manchester, the, was it Central? Yeah, the whatever Expo. it's called. Yeah, the tech Expo. Yeah. And we walk, walked around and I, I was comfortable talking to people because A, I wasn't trying to sell anything. I was just having a little nod around and then B, a lot more tech. But I was impressed at how Zach would just start chatting to them. And then, like, you know, that some of them were quite were quite rude, weren't they? Like they were saying, I don't want to talk to recruiters. But Zach was just like batting it off and off to the next person. I'm like, how does he do that? You know, I need to sit in and get myself a hot cocoa and put a blanket around myself for half an hour <laughs> after that. Yeah. That happened to me. But Zach just left, yeah, you know. And it's called being an only child, John. <laughs> looking for centre of attention in your household. <laughs> we didn't have a choice. You live in a Greek household. I assure you, you've got to do public speaking because everybody's doing it. I'd say I've got another one for you, though, though Mark, to laugh. Yeah. You say that now about the public speaking thing, and it's interesting that John said the, the thing, again, you'd be, you're quite interested. When we first started, I'm, I'm, I'm totally cool with it, like John's mentioned there. You know, I'm just, I'll just stand up and talk to anybody. It's just, just how I am. But when you do the podcast and you listen to yourself back on the podcast, I found that quite intimidating because you're a bit like, oh, my God, is that me? Do I really sound like that? I don't know if you found that, John. Yeah, definitely, which is I don't listen to them in, in their entirety. Sorry, Denise. I just find it hard. <laughs> I do. We No, I do listen back, and I definitely did find that um, experience of hearing your voice and hearing what you said. And But, you know, just it's like, well, that's what I said then, and that's what I meant then, so that's fine. Yeah, the only thing I was thinking about, sorry, before this interview was that I just don't want to listen to myself back. That's the number one thing. 
So obviously I, I, I need to, but I'm, I hate that. I think everyone hates the sound of their own voice. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Anyway. You do, but you know, it's interesting. The more we've done it, I think the more we've got used to it. And right at the start, we used to listen to them all the time. And one day I had it on speaker and I was walking around the house. I think John knows this story. And my little daughter said, is that, is that you, Daddy? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm doing a podcast. She said, What's a podcast? Said, well, you know, it's like talking. She's like, oh, Daddy's famous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do not answer, like, <laughs> any questions beyond that. Just, yeah, I'm famous. There you go. You're Looking it. around like, I'm a star, I'm a star. Yeah, not, not just anybody can get on Spotify, you know, and, <laughs> and iTunes, right? It's not even iTunes anymore, is it? <laughs> May I have you, my daughter? Let me tell you, we were in the top 15 once. <laughs> I'm sorry if I I'm sorry if I told the story last time, but I was in we were I work with uh, colleagues in Canada and I was over there uh, at the end of last year and we were out for dinner and someone opened their phone and started searching for the podcast and showing it around the table. And I was mortified because I'm like, oh, my God, please don't, you know, please don't play this. Or, you know, when you see your picture, your mugshot. Yeah, on there. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, but that was that's yeah, that's as close I got to celebrity status. Like people I work with know I have a podcast. I'd like to just jump back. I mentioned I was going to talk about the spectrum piece again. And, and yeah. it's something that I'd like to ask John as well. Um, because we've done this show, as we say, for like nearly two and a half years now. And what I love about the tech community and what I've seen about the tech community, I didn't get into recruitment because when I was younger, my mum and dad bought me a book that said, you know, get involved in recruitment. But I just fell into it. You know, that's what tends to happen within our industry. And yet there's so many people that we've spoken to on this show who said, they got a computer at a really young age and that's what made them do it. So it, just if I can touch a little bit on that with you and with John, actually, you know, um, what, what was it? What, what excited you about something that is now such a fantastic industry and way ahead of its time, like 25, 30 years ago? For, for me, I think it's like even, even today where a brand new piece of tech comes out and you see it for the first time, everyone must just wants to jump on it. And, and in them days, there wasn't really any personal computers there was you, you saw these old ibm machines in, in offices and things like that or on, on tv programs but you never actually got to use one or, or get your hands on one and my mum and dad just bought it from uh, christmas i remember it was wh smith that had it i, I remember like it was yesterday it was so exciting for me to go to wh smith and buy this uh tx81 and, and you plug it in and everything. it doesn't really do anything but you can start to type a few things and and it just became a learning tool basically so i just thought oh what more can this do what more can it do and then I remember my dad buying a, a magazine, which was, I think it was like binary code you put into the, into a, you write it into the, into the ZX81 and it, and it produced like a really rubbish game. And then there was the basic side of it. And so I just kept exploring of how to, to replicate one of these games. So I, I remember creating a game, which was just a snowflake dropping off the top of the screen. I had to catch it in a local bucket. And, and for me to spend, I don't know how long it was, it, it probably took me forever to do it, but it was like a major achievement. I've actually wrote, wrote a computer game and most of my friends and stuff didn't have a computer. And then there's all about being on my bikes and BMXs and stuff like that. But, and, I, and I just started doing that. And then when my friends would come around, I'd show them I wrote this little tiny program and it was like, oh, wow, that's amazing. I don't think I had any special skill set. I just think it was perseverance at the end of the day. I just, I just thought, wow, this is just, this is just great. And then obviously the, 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 Technology we took off with Sinclair and, and the Spectrum and then the Commodore and all that stuff. So I just progressed through those ranks of computers and I never really stopped. Amazing. Um, I love uh, that. Absolutely. Love 
So I've got a friend of mine who basically suggested that I take, I've got a ZX81 in, in, in storage and I should actually frame that and put it onto the wall and, and put it as part of Beta's history. I think that'd be a really good thing to do. Yeah. Do it. Do it. <laughs> Send us a picture. Yeah, that's fantastic. I think I I, I think that's really interesting. I've, a very similar story, different, came from a different shop, but basically the same. And I and I think, I don't know if it's actually you're asking, like, is it the people who got the computer that got the jobs in tech or... Which, what's the cause and what's the effect, if you know yeah, what I mean? I mean? What it was for me is that, like I said, in our industry, people fell into it. They didn't necessarily have the, yeah. the young age. From what Mark's saying there, you know, he didn't necessarily have a passion for it initially, but once he got it, the passion became about being innovative, something new. How does it, so? For, and I love that this is how this industry has been born and, and grown and spawned and stuff like that. So I was just asking you, John, from your perspective, because you're a tech, is that why you got into it? Was it was it like Mark saying there, where he was just intrigued about how he could develop and stuff? Or was it something else? No, I think it was very similar to that, you know, I think the, the interest was there from watching TV. I got the computer and then I never put it down and I never, never lost interest in it. And I knew I always wanted to do it. And the hardest question I've ever, ever really been asked is like, what would you do if you didn't work in computers? Because I really don't know. Um, obviously, I'd be a podcaster, but second to that, something that paid, I don't know what I'd do. Um, and and I love your story about creating a game. I've never created a game. So my bucket list for me to do is create a game, even a simple one. I'm not talking about anything fancy. And I think what's sad about, well, for me, it's sad, and maybe nobody else thinks this, that nowadays computers are so advanced that the bar is so high that if you showed someone a game like that, they'd just be like, well, uh-huh. you know, and there's just no... So what you have to do to make something appreciable to, a, you know, to your peers at the age of, let's say, 12 or 13, when you might first spark an interest in computers, you would have to do so much more. And I know the tools are better and you look at your unities and there, but the but the bar to creating a game in Unity or, or whatever is quite still quite high. So I, I think it's a bit of a shame because it's it just feels really hard to to break into now. Whereas then we were we were all learning at the same time as the industry was growing. But now the industry's up here and it's you you gotta jump, you gotta get uh, you know, go into a boot camp basically or a degree or yeah, I just I just had a memory as well. Um I remember a company Ocean Software, which is which was based in Manchester. And as I went through, I think I was on the Commodore at that point, there was individuals writing games. That's when one person would write the games. There was lots of really kind of rock star game developers at that time, and they would do everything. And I wanted to potentially look at getting a job in something like uh, Ocean Software. So that's kind of a bit of an ambition then that not only was I playing the games and learning how to write them, I thought there's an industry there that I'd really like to be involved in. I never got into the gaming industry, but it just kept that passion alive, I think. So that's uh, that's one of the key key things for me, I think. I did not know they were Manchester-based, but that's really cool. I definitely Pretty remember. Sure they were, yeah. Yeah, sure. I, I just pulled them yeah, up yeah. on Google and you're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, and I've met two people from the Manchester area who both created games one of which I'd heard before, and I can't remember if it's Chucky Egg or something else. But you're right; they both they were like I think both of them were actually about 16 when they made the game. Yeah. yeah. Um, and actually, there's a very very funny story. Well, I think it's very funny. No one else will um, of a developer. And I, I was saying, what you know, like, do you play your own game? He goes, no. Once it, once it was released, he could never play it because. Uh, they they write the game, they'd release it, and it was it would never you couldn't patch it like you can now. So if there was a bug in it, the bug was there for eternity. Yeah. And so he couldn't play the game because he knew he'd see a bug or he'd see a fault. And it's just like, it's, it comes back to like hearing your own voice, but like for all eternity. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's true. true. Yeah. 
<laughs> kind of a scary thought. It's it's great. It's it's so good to hear. What well, so like sort of somebody who's a non-techie, you know, it's so good to hear like how actually you got involved in the industry because of passion and the desire for it. Whereas I think there's so many people that don't necessarily have passion what they do. You know, like you said there, you know, I mean, we, we must be around the same age, Mark, because, you know, you mentioned about the BMXs and stuff like that. And did you have a clue what you were going to do? No, you either basically go into what your mother or your father's business is. You tend to follow in their footsteps or one of your mates tells you to come and work with them, you know, yeah. or you go down the academic route. But but fundamentally, you don't have that that sort of desire for something and you fall into something instead. So So for me, like I was sort of, what I love about what we've talked about today and particular tech industry generally is that a lot of the guests that we've spoken to, it's a passion for what they do that then takes them into that route, which is, which is amazing really. And, 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 and good to see, but, you know, I think I also alluded to on the show in the past and, and, and generally, and that is that again, we still have this problem in schools. I don't think that that's fundamentally changed 30 or 40 years later people don't really know what they want to do, um, you know, and they tend to do fall into the route that is down those pathways of parents and so on. Because I still think kids are probably actually not, not pushed by parents down that direction, but I think parents do say, oh, well, if you don't know what you're doing, you can do what I do, you know, take over the family business. And that just naturally, that just happens, doesn't it? Oh, sorry, Mark, I was just going to say, what I find interesting is, and we had another guest who said this in six points to anyone who can remember who it was, that the people who are in school now, when they graduate, or leave school or graduate, the careers that many of them will take don't yet exist, haven't yet been created in the same way that lots of the careers, you know, sort of, and I know the obvious ones are like your influencer, but it's loads of like social media and other, you know, devops type roles it just did not exist x years ago five years ago 10 years ago so it's going to continue and the school system yeah i know they're they're a juggernaut right they take too long to change direction they can't really keep up with with that pace of change and the pace of change has increased too much so they're all so now they have to focus on teaching you the skills to adapt to a changing workforce and economy but sorry that was that was my two cents and it's quite interesting that you should say that because I don't know if anybody saw Dragon's Den last night, but anyone did see Dragon's Den last night. Did anybody see it? No, no I didn't know. No, they were talking about a robot that could basically be the future of how things go and how people would 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 work it remotely. And uh, anyway, watch it. A little mid roll out there for uh, Dragon's Den. Thank you. What <laughs> yeah. channel is it on? How much? We'll send them an invoice. Um, <laughs> So, um, so we have come to, to the end, and um, Mark, we'd like to just ask you one question. If there was any advice that you could give anybody in any format, whether that be from business, career, um, anything at all that you would like to, to leave us with, a, a thought for the day as of such, what would that be? Yeah, I think it's just the direction I took it, if, and it's just been mentioned recently, is that you, you have to follow your passion. Um, if, if you don't know what that is, it will come eventually. Um, and you'll always get people trying to knock you down, saying don't do it. So a lot of the things that people who would say to me, I wouldn't do that, I wouldn't risk that, you've got a good paid job there or whatever. If you're really passionate about something and believe in yourself, then then do it and don't listen to people that are going to tell you that you can't do it or you won't succeed and so on. It's not about proving people wrong. It's just about making sure that you you know what you want um, and not, don't go down a path that's not going to make you happy or, or fulfilled in, in your work life, really. 
I couldn't agree more. I've said it a million times over. The only barrier to anything in life is yourself. Yeah, exactly. Right. Thanks very much. Um, so thank you very much, Mark Dale, founder of Beta Tech, who came and talked to us today. We had a great chat with you, found out, out all about your journey, your career and the business. Um, it was absolutely brilliant having your show. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, it's been fantastic. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you for your, your time as well. Um, if you want to get in touch with the show in the usual ways, we're on LinkedIn. We have a page there. We have our own website, northwestify.co.uk. And uh, if you're listening on the, uh, you can get us on uh, the usual podcast locations. Thank you very much. Bye.